So the sniveling little drips over at factcheck.org are the enforcement mechanism for Facebook's uh, censorship apparatus. And I did a dive into who exactly is factcheck.org, who are the people behind factcheck.org, and more importantly, what is the money? Where does the money come from that funds factcheck.org? Because like I said, they're a very important part. They're a very important part in the, of a very important cog in the wheel of Facebook's apparatus to stifle the truth and label everything that they don't like misinformation and ultimately silence those who dissent from the radical leftist ideology. So I, I want to get into all of that today. But first, I, I have a question that I've been pondering all weekend. And it starts, it actually, let's, let's go one step before it starts. So evidently on Twitter right now, leftists can call conservative women uh, the B word, the C word, they can call them evil, racist, misogynist, white supremacist, vile, stupid, loser, um, all kinds of other nasty words that I don't even want to say. And uh, according to Twitter's standards, this is okay. It's okay for these just absolutely vicious, grotesque insults and ad hominems to be hurled by leftists at conservative women. But the Babylon Bee, everybody's favorite satire website, makes me laugh on a daily basis. The Babylon Bee did a satirical headline mocking USA Today for their Women of the Year list that we did a piece on or that I did a piece on last week, an episode about, actually, it was almost an entire episode. We were talking about how that which a society honors um, is the, the characteristics that the society encourages and how each and every one of these women honored by USA Today did not embody or does not embody characteristics that we ought to be encouraging in our society if we want to not only encourage women to be the best people that they can be, but encourage a, na a prosperous nation, encourage our nation um, to, to continue on its, on its trajectory. So the Babylon Bee did a satirical headline, of course, about USA Today, um, and their headline was, Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. Of course, I'm not going to explain the joke as Seth Dillon, as Seth Dillon said on Twitter, this also made me laugh, um, said this morning, you know, they charge extra for joke explanations because someone didn't, said they didn't understand the joke. Well, well, too bad for you if you don't get the joke. Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. So it, it, Twitter locked the Babylon Bee out of their Twitter account. They said that this is hateful content and that... The Babylon Bee would be locked out for 12 hours after they delete this tweet, meaning Twitter has the capacity to go in and delete this tweet. If they find this to be terrible content, if they find this to violate their terms of service, if they, find, if they label this as hateful, Twitter can make this tweet disappear. They can, they can take an active editorial role and prevent content that they don't like from being on their platform, but they don't. And that would be bad enough, right, if they did that. They don't do that. They actively want to make Seth and his team over at the Babylon Bee, they want to make them do the censorship of themselves. They want to make Seth and his team commit this horrible, this horrible ideological censorship against themselves. So Seth's not allowed to tweet from the Babylon Bee unless he himself essentially capitulates. If he admits that this is hateful, he, he, he accepts Twitter's scolding, this, this label from Twitter that he's being a bigot. He's not allowed to tweet from his account for 12 hours until after he, you know, gets up, stands up on this pedestal and says, yep, Twitter, you were right. So I, I'm in, in seeing this all over Twitter, Babylon Bee's trending on Twitter as it should be. I thought to myself, I thought, where are the dads? Where are the dads? Because at the, at the same time that the Babylon Bee is being locked out, we're seeing the NCAA 
Women's Swimming Championships was this past weekend. And of course, the entire nation knew that Leah Thomas, the transgender swimmer, won the, the NCAA championship title in the 500 free, won, defeated biological women, and won. And there was actually a girl who got 17th place, meaning in, in swim championships, you qualify from prelims to finals. There's a uh, finals, final heat, and then there's a consolation final. So it's, you know, the first through eighth, and then there's ninth through 16th. So if you get 17th place in prelims, you do not qualify to move on to finals. There was a girl who got 17th place. It was her senior year. She missed making it to finals, which is heartbreaking no matter your sport, heartbreaking no matter the year. But she missed 17th place because Leah Thomas qualified first. She missed making the finals because Leah Thomas stole that spot from her. So Leah Thomas is actively stealing opportunity, achievement, um, accomplishment, and records from biological women. And this girl who got 17th, she's a Hungarian swimmer. She actually spoke out and said, NCAA, this is unfair. This is, this is, you should change this. Now, this girl did not go as far as I would have gone because this girl said, you know, she supports Leah Thomas and, you know, doesn't, doesn't want to be hateful and blah, blah, blah. So she's accepting the premise of the left while sort of contradicting the implications of the premise of the left. And I don't think you can have it both ways. You can't accept the premise of the left and also contradict the implications. You have to just contradict the premise of the left or debunk the premise of the left because it's not built on anything. So we're seeing this on Twitter and we're seeing this play out in our news media. And I thought to myself, where are the dads? Because the, these swimmers, I encourage these, these young swimmers to boycott this meet, you know, even to boycott a single race where Leah Thomas is in this particular heat. You know, you hear, take your mark, beep, and don't dive in the pool. Don't do your start. Just stop and make your statement. Because I, I understand. Let me interrupt myself. I understand why this is a scary thing to ask. This is a huge ask to put on these girls' shoulders. A huge ask. They're afraid. They're afraid of retaliation. They're afraid of the wokeness on their campus. They're afraid of being bullied by school administrators. They're afraid of being benched by their coach. They're afraid of losing their scholarship. They were afraid of not, of, of not making the team, not making NCAAs. They were afraid of being penalized. They're afraid even of the repercussions after college. If their name is Googled, when in a, in a job application, is a potential employer going to disqualify them from a position based on the fact that they spoke out against the transgender agenda? They spoke out against Leah Thomas. Maybe they boycotted a meet. I understand all of this. I understand it's a huge, it's a huge burden to be putting on the shoulders of these young women. I just don't know what else, how else we can solve this problem. How else we can stop this transgender train? Because if we don't, draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to allow Leah Thomas, born a biological male, from stealing this achievement and accomplishment from these young women, then, then the next Olympic Games, what are we going to have? A bunch of biological males who have rendered female athletes completely obsolete, these mediocre biological male athletes who then dominate female competitions. Once it happens, it's much more difficult to roll back than stopping it before it starts. And so I, I, I encouraged all these young women, like, do something. Very, very few people are able to look at their lives and say, you know what? I had a unique calling, a unique chance for my particular action to change the course of history. It is a calling when that happens to you. And it requires a sacrifice that's not easy. Of course, being at a pivotal moment of history and making a difficult decision requires sacrifice. But very few people are called to do that. And so I encourage these girls, dig deep. You know what it's, you know what it's like to dig deep. You're an athlete. You're a collegiate athlete. Dig deep and do this. But more importantly, I thought, where are the dads of these girls? Where are the fathers of these young women? How can they let their little girl, their daughter, be decimated by a biological man? How can they look at their little girl who's worked her entire swimming career to get to this point? And how can they 
just let this happen without speaking up, without speaking out. Where are the dads here? Where are the dads here? And, you know, all all of this happening at the same time is not a coincidence. USA Today, including Rachel Levine on their list of women of the year, and Twitter not only locking the Babylon Bee out of their Twitter account, but the, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, also commented Um, on Rachel Levine and said, Rachel Levine is a man. And Twitter marked that tweet of Ken Paxton's as hateful. They said, because Ken Paxton is a public official, we still think it's in in public interest to leave this tweet up, but we want to let you know that we think it's hateful. All of these things happened at, at the same time. And this is not a coincidence because what governments and apparatuses like big tech that are tied into the ideological agenda of the administration that's currently in charge of our government, they only censor what they're afraid that you will hear. They only censor what they are afraid that you will know, what you are, what they are afraid you will recognize, or what will expose them. People who embrace reality and objective truth aren't afraid of you hearing dissenting viewpoints or of you hearing lies. They don't try to actively silence anybody who disagrees with them. And, and we can see this if we look around the world right now. You know, Putin is silencing journalists and Kim Jong-un is silencing all of his people. And Twitter and Facebook silenced the New York Post and you and I, anybody who tried to share that link, about Hunter Biden's laptop story in, in the lead up to the 2020 election. And now we have big tech censoring any of us who dare to contradict the transgender ideology, who dare to say, listen, Leah Thomas is erasing biological women and Rachel Levine is not a woman. Big tech is censoring all of this. And the only people that can save our nation from this at this point are the girls themselves and their dads and lukewarm people, people who aren't the 30% very leftist and 30% very right, these, these people that are very into politics. It's the lukewarm people everywhere who can save us from this by refusing to participate in a society defined by delusion and censorship, the two things have to come together, censorship of truth and of science and of morality and of reality, a society defined right now by the erasure of women. So where are these dads? Okay, let's, I, I, I really want to talk about the radical money trail behind factcheck.org. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Is all this wokeness, all of this delusion making you nauseous? Well, you're not alone. There's no worse feeling than being nauseous. I get carsick, so I'm all too familiar with the feeling. If you have ever experienced nausea, you know how quickly your body can turn from comfortable to crisis mode. Did you know that one out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea? That's why you've got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. Plus, the product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for Liz Wheeler Show listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Liz, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. That's the best offer that you will find for Relief Band anywhere, but you have to use my promo code. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use my promo code Liz, L-I-Z, for 20% off plus free shipping. That's reliefband.com promo code Liz. 
So Facebook demonetized me again, which I know is not an exciting announcement here. This happens every couple months. Facebook decides that, I don't know, I'm too hateful or I spread disinformation or some other false accusation. And they use that as an excuse to prevent me from being able to monetize my content. And it's really annoying, but I also, it's, it's what I expect. So this happened, this happened to me this weekend, and it, it, it was because of a video. This is actually quite funny, I think. The video was from last week when I tongue-in-cheek asked on my show, where in the world is Dr. Anthony Fauci? The dude has disappeared in, in the face of all the media coverage about U- Russia invading Ukraine. Dr. Fauci has just dropped off the airwaves. And this, of course, is a figure of speech, right? And we all understood what I was saying. I, the point that I was making was um, that the media who has used Fauci as their story for the last two years suddenly has no interest in Fauci and all of their interest is about Ukraine. So like I said, we all understood this perfectly. It's, um, I thought it was a funny point to make. Where in the world is Dr. Anthony Fauci? It's great disappearing act, blah, blah, blah. And factcheck.org is um, the organization that apparently has zero sense of humor, doesn't understand colloquial phraseology. They don't understand figures of speech. They I don't know. They're acting like a robot that doesn't understand any kind of slang. It's not even slang. Well, anyway, they, they, they smacked a fact check on my episode on Facebook. And this fact check is what caused Facebook to demonetize my video. So they, they, you can see this on the screen. They put this. This is the notice they sent me. Liz Wheeler shared a video on March 9th. On March 17th, independent fact checkers reviewed the video and said it was missing context and could mislead people. Guys, imagine if that were the standard. Imagine if it was our responsibility as communicators to ensure that no one misunderstood us. Now, that's what I strive to do, of course. That is the goal of a communicator, but we all know that there are people who are unable to understand, unwilling to understand, or just nut jobs that willfully misinterpret you. And yes, I'm talking about leftists. Um, so imagine if that was if that was the standard, that you yourself were responsible for anybody willfully or ignorantly misinterpreting or misapplying what you said. That's apparently Facebook's standard here. So it could mislead people, they say. So Facebook added a notice to the post on March 17th, and voila, I was demonetized here. So I decided to look into factcheck.org because independent fact checkers, I mean, look at that notice. Independent fact checkers reviewed the video. So are they actually independent? Now, a lot of a lot of the, the notices of this type that I've gotten on my post before have been from a fact checker called Lead Stories. And Lead Stories, we know, is compromised. Not only do they take money from Facebook themselves, which has a very leftist ideological bent, they take money from Google. They also take money from ByteDance. ByteDance is the parent company of TikTok. ByteDance is tied to the Chinese Communist Party in China. So Lead Stories is obviously compromised, not just by domestic radical leftist agendas, but by international communist agendas. So factcheck.org, I thought, okay, so what, what, what's the deal with factcheck.org? Who are these people? And so I, I looked on, on their website, and they have a financial disclosure. They claim that they want transparency about where they get their funding. And their financial disclosure, this is just for, this is for the second quarter of fiscal year 2022, the three months ending December 31st of 2021. And this is, this is what they, they disclose regarding their finances. They say $149,523 from the Annenberg Foundation. Individual donors contributed $92,536. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation contributed $63,418. Facebook, through a third-party fact-checking program, gave $27,505. Facebook, uh, the National Association of Black Journalists Fact-Checking Fellowship Program, gave $17,472. Google, gave $19,405, and the National Science Foundation gave $9,089. That's essentially where factcheck.org got their money for at least a three-month period of time ending at the end of 2021. 
And I thought, okay, so again, that doesn't answer my question. Who is factcheck.org? So the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, let's start there. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation gave $63,418 to factcheck.org. Now, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation bills themselves as a nonprofit, uh, an organization that gives money, a charitable organization. But if you actually look at their ideology, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation focuses on what they call healthcare, healthcare philanthropy. Um, but what that really means is they pushed Obamacare. They have pushed ideologically. They have lobbied for government-run healthcare for decades, literally decades. They have partnered with the George Soros Open Society Foundation on different projects. And this is what I found interesting. Their pet project, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation pet project, is combating childhood obesity. And I thought, okay, well, there, there's something that we share. There are a lot of fat kids, and that's really unhealthy. That poses a threat to the safety of these children. Like, we should do something about that. We have an epidemic of obesity in our country. And, you know, it's terrible when, when kids suffer from this too. The problem is the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation combats childhood obesity, not through like diet and exercise and encouraging family, nuclear family units. No, no, they, they, they're trying to combat childhood obesity through government programs, obviously. Shocker, right? Government programs such as wider sidewalks. I'm not making that up. They actually want the government to make wider sidewalks, and they think that that'll change childhood obesity. Now, of course, who is the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation? The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation itself was started um, with a donation. It, it was started by the son of the founder of Johnson & Johnson. Yes, that Johnson & Johnson. You might remember that name because of the J&J COVID-19 vaccine. Um, it was started by the son of the founder of Johnson & Johnson with a donation of $1 billion worth of stock in Johnson & Johnson. So the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation gave over $60,000 to factcheck.org just in the last quarter of 2021. This organization is not just a healthcare advocacy organization. No, no. This is a radically leftist apparatus here. And of course, we have Facebook and Google that gave money to factcheck.org. They claim that it's that it, it has no bearing on the actions of factcheck.org, but I find that to be an absurd proposition. We all know that that's the definition of conflict of interest. When you are getting your funding from an interest that has an agenda, and you have an interest in maintaining your funding, of course you're going to consider the ideological interests and agenda of the person providing you the funding to keep you alive. That's just human nature. So Facebook and Google, then the National Science Foundation. Okay, so what's the National Science Foundation? Even Wikipedia describes the National Science Foundation as follows. The National Science Foundation is an independent agency of the United States government, LOL an independent agency of the United States government. There is no such thing that supports fundamental research and education in all the non-medical fields of science and engineering. Its medical counterpart is the National Institutes of Health. So there is no such thing as an independent agency of the federal government. There are agencies that call themselves independent agencies, but they are agencies under the control of the executive branch of government, meaning they are under the control of the chief executive, just like the NIH you know, Fauci, the NIAID being a sub-agency of the NIH, just like the NIH is directed by the executive branch of government, so is the National Science Foundation. And what, what, what is the interest right now of the administration controlling our White House, the Biden administration? Of course, it is silencing dissenters. I mean, the White House has directly told Facebook to crack down on people who are asking questions or about COVID-19 and COVID-19 protocols or dissenting from the Fauci narrative. So the National Science Foundation is not exactly just your science, unless, of course, you want to define science as Fauci. That's how he defines himself. Then, of course, we have the biggest donor to factcheck.org, the Annenberg Foundation. And before I get ahead of myself for a second, the, the factcheck.org was actually started um, at the University of Pennsylvania. It, it was created at the University of Pennsylvania 
from the Annenberg, at the, at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania. So Annenberg, the Annenberg Foundation is just highly tied into factcheck.org. In fact, the individual at the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania who created factcheck.org is a former CNN reporter. So as you can see, the tangled web of ideological, ideologically leftist agenda here runs very, very deep. So the Annenberg Public Policy Center at the University of Pennsylvania created factcheck.org, and then the Annenberg Foundation itself gave um, over 150000 or almost $150,000, $149,523, just in the last quarter of 2021, to factcheck.org. So the Annenberg Foundation, what is the ideological agenda of the Annenberg Foundation? Well, this pretty much says it all. The Annenberg Foundation receives grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, I read that. And even though I was personally annoyed that Facebook had not only fact-checked me, but demonetized me, I actually laughed because I thought these people don't even try to hide their agenda. They don't even, they barely pretend that they are independent. They just say, oh yeah, I'm independent. Ha ha ha. They're not even kind of independent. The Annenberg Foundation receives grants from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They are dedicated to environmentalism and, in their words, social justice. Now, some of the social justice um, organizations or causes that they support include the California Black Freedom Fund. What is the California Black Freedom Fund? It is a fund dedicated to what they call racial equity. Now, equity, of course, is just another word for discrimination. Um, this is a list. This is not a complete list. This is just a few of the places that the Annenberg Foundation has given substantial sums of money. And of course, where you give your money de demonstrates and illustrates where your values are because you donate to places that share your values. This is These are places that um, the Annenberg Foundation has given substantial sums of money. The American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, the Center for Reproductive Rights, a very pro-abortion legal group, the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles. Now, this is a euphemistic title. Of course, we all support treating any person humanely, whether or not they are a citizen of the United States. But the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights of Los Angeles is a far leftist organization that supports amnesty. They are against ICE. They're against Border Patrol. They're essentially against national sovereignty and borders. The Annenberg Foundation gives a lot of money to them. They also give money to Democracy Now! Productions and Earth Justice, the Earth Justice Initiative, Equality California Institute, and... Every Town for Gun Safety Support Fund, a very, very far leftist gun control organization that wants to ban guns. The Annenberg Foundation also gives to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, NARAL Pro-Choice America Foundation, Planned Parenthood Federation for America, Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, all very leftist organizations in the business of abortion. They profit off of the blood money of children. And then the Sierra Club Foundation and Texas Environmental Justice Advocacy Services. So the Annenberg Foundation, it's its very clear what their ideological agenda is. They're, they're extremely far to the left. They are climate change criers. They are pro-abortion. They are anti-gun. They are, uh, they use race. They're essentially race Marxists. They, uh, they're against free speech, just like the ACLU is. They, I mean, this this stuff. They're against they're against borders and national sovereignty. They they have these anti-American. Um, they they support with their money anti-American interests, things that will cause the downfall of our country. And so, circling back then to the radical money that's behind factcheck.org, factcheck.org. I mean, Facebook says these are independent fact checkers that have objectively reviewed your video and found that it misses context and could mislead people. No, no. Factcheck.org was started by the University of Pennsylvania, by the Annenberg Public Policy Center, by a man who is a former CNN reporter, which fundamentally biases him. I do not believe that somebody who held that position can be um, credible 
unless they have disavowed their time at CNN, disavowed what CNN is and does right now. Um, not only not only was it started that way, their money trail, the places that they choose to give their wealth are very radically leftist causes. And these radically leftist causes, of course, don't, don't believe in, they don't believe in free speech, certainly, but they don't believe in disagreement. They don't believe in dissent. They actually think that my speech is violence, that your speech is violence, that you shouldn't be allowed to hear reality, that we shouldn't be allowed to discuss hot button issues. And as I said, factcheck.org is the enforcement mechanism of Facebook's censorship apparatus. And if we look at where their money comes from, that makes perfect sense. This kind of, this kind of knowledge should empower conservatives to take on big tech in a way that we have never taken them on before because we know that they target conservatives. That's easy to see. They, we know that we are censored when we discuss things, whether it's the transgender ideology, whether it's election integrity, whether it's COVID-19 vaccines, whatever it may be, we know we're censored. But to see exactly how their process is constructed, to see that they identify conservatives based on the White House telling them what topics the White House doesn't want people to hear about, and then to see them use so-called fact checkers, so-called independent fact checkers who are not independent at all, but tied to radically leftist ideological agendas. And to see the kind of money behind that, we have to expose that. We have to make sure that big tech is not enjoying immunity from liability per section 230 for playing an editorial role the way that they are playing an editorial role. And we have to take action on this before it's too late. This, by the way, this is why I spend most of my social media time now on Locals because Locals is dedicated to free speech. And if we if we don't have a platform that's uncancelable, that uses an apparatus, meaning servers and websites that cannot be canceled by Google or Facebook or Amazon or Apple or you name it, if we do not embrace this, this parallel economy, this uncancelable apparatus, then I mean, it's, it's just a matter of time until we're silenced altogether, not just demonetized. So, I mean, I always invite you, of course, to join us over on Locals, lizwheelershow.com slash Locals. You can get one month free right now on your annual subscription if you use the promo code free speech. I hope to see you over there. Um, that, wh what's happening, though? That, this is not a coincidence. As I said at the beginning, it's not a coincidence that the Babylon Bee has been banned from Twitter unless not only do they do they delete that tweet, but they themselves have to take that action of admitting that they were hateful. It's no, it's no coincidence that that's happening at the same time that Leah Thomas is actively stealing achievement from biological women. It's no coincidence that that is happening at the same time that Facebook is cracking down on people like me and you as we're trying to discuss these topics. And it's, it's, it's no coincidence that that this is happening at a time when there is a specific concerted effort by the left to attack children in our nation. And I, I want to talk about this in, in larger form in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about stamps.com. If you've got a small business, then you know that there's nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your own computer. You can save time and money with stamps.com. You can send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the US Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. So whether you're in office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you are up and running printing official postage for any letter 
any package anywhere you want to send, and you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, you just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. There is no risk. And with my promo code, Liz, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Liz, L-I-Z. That's stamps.com, promo code Liz, and then you'll never have to go to the post office again. So there's a concerted effort in our country right now to assault children, to attack children, whether this is through critical race theory being taught in public schools, whether this is through the transgender ideology being poured into children's minds as early as kindergarten. That's what the Florida anti-grooming bill was all about, protecting children against this. Whether this is the sexualization of children, libraries supporting these drag queen story hours, whether it's, whether it's simply our pop culture that pushes children to dress provocatively, to think about sex, to act like sexual beings when they're just kids, they're just babies. We, we see this concerted assault. At the same time, of course, we have actual sexual assault, actual sexual abuse of children in the form of sex offenders. That's child sexual abuse or child pornography, which is child sexual abuse documented and commodified and distributed and sold. We see this explosion of these crimes in our country right now. In Florida, they just busted uh, a child sex ring, including, by the way, four employees at Disney, which, I mean... I take no delight in this kind of irony, but one of these Disney employees was caught sending sexual images, or fortunately, this, this, this underage girl that he thought that he was sending images to was a detective posing as an underage girl. But this, there is some irony that Disney was criticizing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for the anti-grooming bill that would protect children from child sex predators. Disney attacked DeSantis for that. At the same time, some of their employees were caught busted, um, committing crimes against sexual crimes against children. And then, of course, we have Katanji Brown Jackson, the woman who Joe Biden nominated based only on her race and only on her gender, insulting, this is tokenism, to the Supreme Court. Her hearings are underway right now in the United States Senate. And in the lead up to this, Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley, released a thread about Katanji Brown Jackson voicing his concerns because his legal staff had poured over the judicial record of Katanji Brown Jackson and found some very concerning rulings in cases where she had discretion. Now, some cases, as you know, when, when uh, a jury finds a defendant guilty, the judge has no discretion over the sentence. There are, there are parameters set by statute that the, that the judge is bound to follow. But, but sometimes a judge does have discretion over the sentence. And Josh Hawley's staff, his, his, his legal minds, the brilliant legal minds that work, work for Josh Hawley, found that when Katanji Brown Jackson had discretion in sentencing in child sex offense cases, particularly child pornography, that she gave very lenient sentences. She was very light uh, gave very light sentences to these horrendous, evil human beings who exploited chi children, sexually exploited children for profit or their own gratification. And in, in, in the hearing, the first day of the hearing um, in the Senate, Josh Hawley detailed what's, what he and his staff found. And it's truly horrendous. Take a listen to this. Here are, I hope, in the next couple of days, some of the cases from your time on the on the court, the district court, the federal district court, that I hope that we can talk about. Let me just run few, through a few of them so you know exactly which ones I mean. United States versus Hawkins. This was a child pornography case where the defendant distributed multiple images of child porn, possessed dozens more, including videos. The federal sentencing guidelines recommended a sentence of 97 to 121 months in prison. 
Prosecutors recommended 24 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave the defendant three months in prison. United States versus Chazen, there it's the, that case, the defendant possessed 48 files of child pornography. The federal guidelines recommended 78 to 97 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended the same. Judge Jackson sentenced him to 28 months. United States versus Cooper, there the defendant possessed dozens of images of child pornography and uh, distributed, I should say distributed dozens of images of child pornography, possessed over 600. The federal guidelines recommended 151 to 188 months in prison. That's a long time. The prosecutor recommended 72 months. Judge Jackson gave the defendant 60 months, which was the lowest sentence permitted by the law. United States versus Down, that's a case where the defendant distributed 33 graphic images and videos of child sexual assault to an anonymous messaging app, unfortunately, a practice that's becoming more common. The federal guidelines recommended 70 to 87 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended 70 months in prison. Judge Jackson sentenced him to only 60 months. Again, that's the lowest level that was permitted by law in that case. United States versus Stewart, the defendant there distributed scores of images of children suffering sexual abuse. The guidelines recommended 97 to 121 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended 97 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave him 57 months. In United States versus Sears, the defendant distributed over 100 videos of child pornography. The guidelines recommended 97 to 121 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended 97 months in prison. Judge Jackson gave him 71 months. In the United States versus Savage, the defendant was convicted of traveling across state lines to engage in sexual intercourse with a child and also possessed six separate thumb drives of child pornography. The guidelines recommended 46 to 57 months in prison. The prosecutor recommended 49 months in prison. Judge Jackson sentenced him to 37 months in prison. Now, those are seven cases that represent, as near as we can tell, all of Judge Jackson's cases dealing with child pornography from her time on the district court, in which she had some discretion to hand down a sentence. There's some other cases in which the law, she didn't have any discretion, the law bound the sentence that she had to, had to give. And what concerns me, and I've been very candid about this, is that in every case, in each of these seven, Judge Jackson handed down a lenient sentence that was below what the federal guidelines recommended and below what prosecutors requested. And so I think there's a lot to talk about there, and I look forward to talking about it. Now, I will note that some have said that the federal sentencing guidelines are too harsh on child sex crimes, especially child pornography. I've heard that argument a lot in recent days. The chairman quoted someone earlier today who takes that point of view. I'll just be honest, I can't say that I agree with that. Now, there are, there are some even on the right who are pushing back against this. Andrew McCarthy, actually, I at the National Review, I respect him a lot. I think that his analysis when it came to the special counsel, Robert Mueller, that investigation was incredibly helpful, incredibly uh, valuable insight. But he, he's pushing back against this, saying essentially that there's a difference of opinion in the legal field about whether the sentencing, the mandatory minimum sentences for child sex offenders, whether those mandatory minimums are too harsh. And he's essentially defending Katanji Brown-Jackson by saying, well, she probably agrees with a lot of people who think they're too harsh, or maybe these, these weren't cases of the distribution of child pornography. Maybe these were just the cases of consumption or possession of child pornography, which he says is very different. And 
I, I, I was honestly shocked. I read his piece several times because I was, I was shocked to hear him say this because you have to understand what child pornography is. A child pornography is the sexual exploitation of children. It's children who are being sexually abused and then photographed or videotaped while undergoing, I mean, we're talking not, I, this is very graphic. So I'm, and I'm not trying to, sh to shock anybody's sensibility, but we're talking about the rape of children here. We're talking about sexual abuse of toddlers here. We're talking about people who do this because they can profit off of it. People who consume this because it gives them twisted gratification. And there's been an explosion uh, in the numbers of consumers and the distribution of child pornography, the sale of child pornography in our nation. I don't understand anybody who can argue that these sentences are too lenient. These sentences are so light that these people who have sexually exploited children are going to be back on our streets in a matter in the matter of years. I, I, I double checked, by the way, with several brilliant legal minds, people that I'm personally friends with. I consulted them and I said, listen, what Josh Hawley is accusing Ketanji Brown Jackson, this is really serious. If this is not accurate, then this is a huge mistake. And if this is accurate, then this is this is smoking gun level, a smoking gun level fine. Then I asked them, I said, is this typical of a judge who has discretion over a case, over the sentence of someone who has been convicted of child sex crimes? Is it typical to be this lenient? And over and over again, the answer that I got was no, this is not typical. This is atypical. This is very troubling. This is an enormous find by Josh Hawley. And this is where I don't understand conservatives. So conservatives typically lose fights like this one. And the reason for that is because the left is very comfortable playing dirty. They're very comfortable using every dirty trick in the book. And I'm not endorsing using dishonesty. I'm not endorsing using evil tactics like the left tried to use against Brett Kavanaugh. But what I, what I, think is obvious at this point, and I'm not sure why it's not obvious to Republicans who are in power. Maybe it's because oftentimes they're not very conservative. But what I don't understand is why they don't fight. Why they just say, well, it's likely that Ketanji Brown Jackson is going to be confirmed because the Senate split 50-50, Kamala Harris, the vice president's the tiebreaker. So even if, even if we have a, a tie here, then Kamala Harris is just going to vote in her favor and she's going to be approved. Let's not waste political capital on this. Let's just be, let's just be gentlemanly. Let's, let's be bipartisan here or nonpartisan. I don't get this at all. I, I do not understand because all, all that would have to happen is you'd have to identify the people who would maybe be the swing voters. So what I'm talking about is I'm talking about Senator Manchin. I'm talking about Senator Sinema. I'm talking about potentially even Senator Romney. I'm talking about Senator Graham. I'm talking about um, Collins and Murkowski. I'm talking about these individual set, uh, senators who should be forced to answer during these hearings. They should be forced to answer. Senator Manchin, do you think that it's appropriate for a judge to give the most lenient sentence allowed by law to people convicted of abusing children for profit? Senator Sinema, do you think it's appropriate for a woman who gave the most lenient sentence allowed by law to someone convicted of distributing child pornography, do you think a woman like that should sit on the Supreme Court of the United States? I don't understand why Republicans aren't going all at this because there are two issues right now that have galvanized parents in America. And when I say parents, I'm very specifically not saying conservatives because this is an issue that parents, liberal and conservative, Democrat and Republican care about. And the two issues are critical race theory and the transgender ideology. And the reason that parents across the aisle care about both of these things is because they're attacks by the left on our children.
The transgender ideology is grooming children to be sexually abused by the left. And critical race theory is teaching children that they are either racist based on the color of their skin or that they are oppressed and victims based only on the color of their skin. Parents across the country hate this. And here we have a situation where Joe Biden has nominated a very, very far leftist individual, a young, actually a very young nominee to sit on the Supreme Court, someone who will not only be shaping our nation for the next 30 years on the bench if she is confirmed, but whose legacy will live for decades, maybe even hundreds of years after that. And she's lenient on child sex predators. And then not only is she lenient on child sex predators, she has embraced critical race theory. She's actually praised the father of critical race theory. It's a man named Derek Bell. She is a fangirl of Derek Bell, the father of critical race theory. Now, just, just for some context here, Derek Bell called the Constitution roach powder. Derek Bell was a racist. He said, I live to harass white folks. And yet, Katanji Brown Jackson said, quote, Professor Derek Bell was a civil rights lawyer and the first tenured African-American professor at Harvard Law School. He wrote a book in the early 1990s about the persistence of racism in American life that he entitled Faces at the Bottom of the Well. My parents had this book on their coffee table for many years, and I remember staring at the image on the cover when I was growing up. I found it difficult to reconcile the image of the person who seemed to be smiling with the depressing message that the title and subtitle conveyed. I thought about this book cover again for the first time in 40 years when I started preparing for this speech because, it was a speech, by the way, that she gave in 2020, because before the civil rights gains of the 1960s, black women were the quintessential faces at the bottom of the well of American society. Given their existence at the intersection of race and gender, both of which were highly disfavored characteristics. So what does this mean? It means that on January 20th of 2020, Katanji Brown Jackson, and this was at the University of Michigan Law School where she was giving this speech. She not only praised the father of critical race theory, she espoused his book in which he wrote that, that America was essentially irredeemably racist, that we were essentially an illegitimate nation because we were built on racism and that white people are inherently racist based only on the color of their skin. She endorsed this work, this foundational work of critical race theory. Again, remember what critical race theory is. Critical race theory is racialized Marxism. It is, it is Marxism, the idea that, that capitalism and the free market and individual rights are completely bogus, that, that we should be living in this, this communist society instead, but that in order to shift our society from where we are, to Marxism, we have to have this vanguard and that because the workers aren't going to rebel like Karl Marx wanted, we have to have another vanguard and that the best way to do that is to divide America by race, blacks against whites. It's racialized Marxism and she's endorsing the father of critical race theory, this person whose work was foundational to this evil ideology. And so this is why I don't understand why isn't the fight to stop the confirmation of Ketanji Brown Jackson a bigger thing? How can Susan Collins, the senator from Maine, sit there and say nothing? H how are people, how are her colleagues in the Senate not saying, Senator Collins, do you think that critical race theory is a racist ideology? Yes or no? If the answer to that is yes, then how could you vote in favor of the confirmation of a woman who embraces the tenets of critical race theory, which you said was a racist ideology? And if your answer is no, that you don't think critical race theory is a racist ideology, then please let us, the voters, know so that we can vote you out because that is exactly what will happen. Every single one of these senators, Susan Collins, Murkowski, Manchin, Romney, Cinema, Lindsey Graham, these people should be forced to answer the question, the two questions. Is it appropriate for a federal judge to give the most lenient sentence allowed by law to child sex predators, people who abuse children sexually and then profit from it? And do you believe that critical race theory is a racist ideology? And if so, how could you vote 
in favor of confirming a woman who espouses that racist ideology to the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I don't understand why this isn't a bigger deal because this woman, really whoever, but this woman, if she's confirmed, she will be writing her ideology into the laws of our land for the next 30 years and her legacy will live beyond that. This will shape our country for generations to come. And yet Republicans, they just shrug. We're not going to waste political capital. This, this, this confirmation is going to happen. This is a terrible, terrible mistake. This is why conservatives lose, because conservatives don't fight to the death. We don't fight if we don't think it's an easy fight. But we should, because as I said, the epidemic of attacks against our children is not just intangible. Child pornography is not intangible. In fact, I want to talk about a recent study from the National Association to Protect Children regarding offenders who either distributed or just possessed child pornography in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Beam Organics. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? And did you know that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count? Yeah, white blood cells. Now, not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important to prevent these things. A better tomorrow starts tonight. So I wanna introduce you Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products from everything from sleep to recovery. And today, you, my listeners and viewers, get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab-tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. In fact, 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it, and then you enjoy it 30 minutes before bedtime. And if you don't love it, then you get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use code Liz for $20 off at checkout. So the, I, there, there's this idea, I think, that people who consume child pornography are participating in a victimless crime and nothing could be further from the truth for two reasons. One being that in order for there to be a market for child pornography, there has to be a demand for child pornography. So those who consume it provide an essential part of the market for child pornography. They provide a demand. Without the demand, there would be nobody who would be a supplier, nobody who would be a producer of child pornography, no one who would be doing the in-person abuse of the child in order to sell it to the consumers. So anybody who's consuming child pornography is actively participating in the abuse, the sexual abuse of these little children. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there, there's an intangible quality to the consumption of pornography because it's, it's behind the computer screen, it's on, it's on the cell phone screen, it's not, it's not an in-person crime. And so there's, there's a, a moral trench that people dig between themselves and the atrocity that is happening that they're watching on the screen. They justify this by saying, well, women that participate in pornography are doing it of their own free will. This is their body. They've consented to this. Or with children, they say, well, I'm not the one that's, I'm not the one that's abusing this child. Like, it's just out there. I'm just looking at it. So there's this moral trench that they dig between themselves and, and the offense that they're committing. And what's worse is that society digs this moral trench for them. 
it's not just the offenders themselves justifying their depravity. It is society in general that does this as well. Well, this is actually false. In 2016, the National Association to Protect Children um, did an analysis of data, sentencing data from the state of Minnesota. They, they compiled sentencing data from 2007 to 2016. And what they found was that 55% of child pornography offenders, that is not only those who distribute child pornography, but those who consume it, 55% of child pornography offenders are also contact offenders. Now, what is a contact offender? A contact offender is someone who is abusing a child in real life tangibly, not just by consuming child pornography. So more than half of people who consume child pornography are also sexually abusing a child in real life. So this idea that child pornography can be separated from quote unquote actual child abuse is false because the demand creates the, or their, their consumption creates the demand for someone to produce child abuse materials. But also these people are offending, more than half of them are offending in person. They are committing atrocities, sexual abuse, sexual assault against children in real life. Um, this is something we should be talking about more as a nation. I know it's a difficult, it's a disgusting topic. It's, it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about pornography in general. But child pornography is something that we should be fighting with everything we have. I mean, think, think about critical race theory for a second. Think about the transgender ideology. We fight against these in schools because we want to protect our children. We want to protect them from being abused ideologically because of their skin color, uh, whether it's a white child or a black child from critical race theory. With transgenderism, we want to protect children from being abused both physically and psychologically, told that they're, they can be a boy even if they're a girl or a girl even if they're a boy. And also physically, we don't want them to be chemically castrated or um, just absolutely destroyed by hormones or surgery, um, we protect children from harm. And yet child pornography is an area that we don't talk about enough. We don't talk about the proliferation of child pornography and we don't talk about apparatuses in our justice system like Katanji Brown Jackson that are very, very lenient on child pornographers, whether that is producers, distributors, or consumers. And we should. In this case, kudos to Josh Hawley. And Republicans have all the ammunition in their hands, all of the ammunition to make sure that Ketanji Brown Jackson never sits on the Supreme Court of the United States. They have an opportunity, a realistic opportunity to wage this fight if only they have the backbone to do this. Democrats, we must make Democrats own not only what is happening right now in the Senate, they must Democrats must be made to defend Ketanji Brown Jackson's disturbing history with these mild sentences on child sex predators or her praise of critical race theory. But Democrats also must be forced to own Leah Thomas and the fact that Leah Thomas stole opportunity and achievement and accomplishment from biological women, rendering biological women obsolete, destroying women's sports. Democrats must be made to own this, but Democrats aren't just going to intangibly be made to own this. It's up to us as Republicans to make Democrats own these things, especially in the eyes of the American people. But th the point of all this, and this I guess is, is the, the hundred foot picture of this, this is what happens in a society where we destroy morality, where we abandon religion, where we destroy the idea of right and wrong. And that's what's happening right now in our nation. We are destroying objective truth. We are erasing the idea of right and wrong in favor of 
you know, some person's lived experience or some person's my truth and your truth, we are becoming a society that is morally relativistic instead of a properly ordered moral society. This, this is what happens. It, it's, it's what happens to be more specific when we reduce sex from its proper place between a man and a woman in marriage, when we reduce sex to nothing more than a transaction, something that only requires consent between two adults to be moral. When we reduce sex to just consent, then we get this, this artificial morality. This artificial morality, and this artificial morality isn't enforced by a higher power as religious people would believe that actual morality is. This artificial morality isn't even enforced here on earth by churches or spiritual leaders or the family unit. No, it's this artificial morality is then enforced by just arbiters. They call themselves the arbiters of truth, maybe even fact checkers. And these people make rules um, not based on intrinsic values, not based on objective truth, not based on, well, biblically given or God created right and wrong. They make rules based on what offends them, what, what triggers them, or, or perhaps what impedes their own political agenda, their agenda for power and for wealth. And so this is downstream what happens when we allow a nation to become a morally relativistic nation versus a properly ordered moral nation. So when I talk about the culture war day in and day out, when I, when I discuss religion on a regular basis, even, even with people who don't share my exact religious views, it's because our nation cannot continue down this path and expect to prosper. We cannot continue as a nation. Our nation will fall if we become, if we allow ourselves to become a fully morally relativistic nation versus a nation that relies on objective truth, reality, and an objective definition of right and wrong and how that impacts our actions and our laws. And it's up to us to make sure that um, our nation, our nation does not devolve into something beyond the point of no return. Um, thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.